You're listening to the Metro LA Podcast, an official podcast of the LA International Church of Christ. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to Midweek. Great to have uh, you with us. Great to be together this evening. Robert Carrillo here in uh, Metro Vision Studio A. And uh, we're going to have our midweek study tonight, which is titled Spiritual Gifts to God. And uh, I'm super excited about this study. I've been studying it, thinking a lot about this, praying a lot about this. Um, Of course, this is all within the umbrella uh, topic of spirituality. Oh, and by the way, I got my USC shirt on for the flowers. Um, And I'm supporting all of LA, all the way across. Um, So our topic, spiritual gifts to God. And, um, you know, uh, uh, this is is something that's really, really important. uh, An important topic for us. And, and, uh, you know, I think we should probably go to God and start out with that. And then we'll jump right into scriptures and have a really good study and talk together. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much uh, for your love and the many, many gifts you give to us, to us, all of us, God. We each have the gifts uh, that we've been given in life and health and wealth and in so many ways, our relationships, our families, our children, our nieces and nephews and our roommates and, and just tons and tons of gifts and that you've given us. And we thank you for that. We thank you for being a generous God. I think about the, the fact that those of us, most of us listening to this lesson live uh, in Southern California with great weather and great health and, and great wealth surrounding us and, and compared to so many people on this planet who don't have a tenth of what we have. We are very blessed, God, and, and we're blessed with lots of uh, physical blessings, material blessings, and even spiritual blessings, being part of a church that has elders and teachers and evangelists and women's ministry leaders. And just thank you, God, for all the blessings you give us. Thank you for the women's service last Sunday, for the the time the men had together, and just all the ways that you continue to bless us, God. We thank you for that. Help us, God, to be like you, to be a blessing to others, to be generous with the gifts that you have given us, God. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, Spiritual gifts to God. We're going to start out Matthew 6. And uh, scripture, we know we know pretty well. If you've been around the church a long time, you probably heard this preached quite a few times. Um, we're going to start in verse 19 of chapter 6. It says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So this is a you know classic scripture. And this is in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. And this is Jesus talking to us about what's important to us, about how we think of things and how we see the world around us. How do you see the world around you? How do you think about the things you have and the things that you've been given, the opportunity about the church, the kingdom of God, all these things about being really spiritually minded. And, um, you know, and he says, he says, do not store for yourselves treasures on earth. You know, the only something that only the spiritually minded will be thinking about is heaven and the spiritual realms, right? Where's my eternal destiny? How's my soul? Where's my spirit at? What are the greater, you know, how am I doing spiritually? Those are things that only a spiritual person really thinks about. 
And he, and basically, you know, Jesus is telling us, don't just focus on the earth and the physical things. He said, where moths and vermin destroy. I never noticed the word vermin. I think that's a that's an updated NIV. Um, I think the classic NIV said worms, uh, moths and worms, I think. I can't remember now. Um, and it says, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. In other words, living for what is eternal or keep the big picture, which, again, requires us to be spiritually minded, to understand what really matters, what really counts, what is most important in this life. You know, and we continue, you know, in um, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And why is it so important what we focus on, what we think about? Because that's that's where our heart goes. You know, if we're looking at material things and the things of the world, then that's what we get into. That's what we get excited about. That's what our heart gets wrapped up in. If we look at the things of God and eternity and the spiritual realms, then that's what we get excited about. And that's what our heart gets into. And you can't be in one and love the other, right? I mean, the, our heart goes to whatever we're focused on. And being spiritually minded. Now, I think that that is honestly a huge challenge for us to really be able to think spiritually. I mean, we've been talking about the spirit and looking at everything really with the lens of spirituality, with the lens of the Holy Spirit. How does the Holy Spirit see everything? How does the Holy Spirit move and operate in the church and in us? And what is the Spirit saying to us? And what is important to the Spirit? And that's what that's what we've been focused on. And and in some ways, there's obviously lots of overlap with the Father and the Son, you know, because sometimes it's the same. It's exactly the same message, right? What the Father says, what the Son says. Um, but but having that lens is 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 meant to help us understand that there's a whole lot more going on around us than we think of. I think I think it's sometimes even it's really hard to be spiritually minded. It's really hard to think of spiritual things because in a sense we deal with what's in front of us, right? And to be aware of the spiritual realms, you know, in Ephesians 6:11 it says for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. You know, the Bible talks a lot about we're in a spiritual battle. We're in a spiritual struggle. Life is spiritual. You are, first of all, a spiritual person. You're not, as C.S. Lewis said, you're not a body with a spirit. Actually, you're a spirit with a body. That's what, that's a quote from C.S. Lewis. Uh, another person said, we are not uh, spirits, we are not bodies with, we are not physical beings with a spirit. We are, we are spiritual beings with a body. You know, really our reality uh, has to be bigger than what is physical. I think that's a hard one for everyone. That's a tough one because, you know, life, you, generally in life, you just deal with what we think of as realities. You know, I got to pay my bills. I need a job. I need to advance my career. I need to, you know, hopefully maybe I can buy a house. Uh, I got to get my kids to college if I can or or help them set them up for, a, you know, a, a, a victorious life. And I got to raise my kids. I mean, this is real life, right? I got to get my kids to practice by 6 p.m. or whatever. That's real life. You know, I got to pay my rent. I got to, 
you know, find somebody to marry or find somebody to be my roommate or find somebody to take care of my dogs when I'm on. I mean, those are all the real life stuff that we deal with day in and day out. And we don't generally just think about what is happening in the spiritual realms around us. It's easy to kind of just lose sight of that and not even think about that. You know, how am I doing spiritually? How is my soul? How's my soul doing? I mean, that's a very real thing. Galatians 5 talks a lot about the the spirit and that struggle between getting sucked into sin and 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 being strong in the spirit so that we our life is is full of the fruits of the spirit love joy peace patience kindness faithfulness you know self-control that those are the things that we know really matter but it's hard because what do we see we don't see the spiritual things and we oftentimes don't experience spiritual things unless we stop and slow down unless we really focus our hearts and minds and we start to become aware because here's the thing is that deep down inside, we all know that there's a spiritual realm. We all know that spirituality is real. On a surface level, we're just going through life, right? Trying to get through life, trying to get to work on time, trying to do this, trying to do that, trying to go work out, trying to run, whatever. We're just going through life, doing our stuff. But on a deep level, in our hearts, in our minds, we know there are spiritual realms. Every once in a while, we get a glimpse of it. A great quiet time, a great Bible reading. We go to the beach and pray. We go to the mountains and look out, and we feel what C.S. Lewis would call the thin places where you can almost touch the spiritual realities. And that's, a, that's the crazy thing about what God is showing us is he's showing us something that is not obvious that an unspiritual person has no idea. They don't get it at all. And just because someone's in the church, we all know that doesn't mean they're spiritual. That 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 spirituality is your connection with God and your awareness of the Spirit of God. And that's why we're studying the Holy Spirit, so we can grow in that awareness. That's awareness. And that's why we're studying the things, so that we understand that the real world is not this stuff. It's not this. It's not the clothes. It's not the food we eat. It's not the car we drive. It's those are those are real. But the real real world is what's happening spiritually around us. And very few people get that. And we understand that what's happening to my spirit is what's happening to me. And that's what Jesus was trying to get us to see and understand, to prioritize the spiritual, the spiritual world, the spiritual forces, what is happening in the spiritual world. And he says, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear is not life more than food and the body more than clothes. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in the barns and in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you worrying by worrying add a single hour to your life? See, you know, he, for Jesus, it was is it is very clear. He's like, like, don't be caught up in the worries and the concerns of the physical world. Yes, you need to eat. Yes, you need clothes to wear. And, you know, nothing wrong with wanting some nice clothes and wanting some good food. And But at the 
at the heart of this is really trusting God. We're not going to starve. We're, we're, we're not going to be without clothing. And, and God helps us. God blesses us, Americans, of all people on the planet, should be secure in this. Because we have so much. But part of the problem is because we have so much, it's easy to worry about all that stuff. And to focus on all that. And even live our lives for all that. And this is stuff that the moth's going to eat. The worms are going to eat it. The vermin's going to eat it. It's going to burn up. It's going to all be gone someday. And what will be left? The spiritual reality. Your soul. And God. And other souls around you. And the souls of the people we love. He says, are, he says, are you not much, much more valuable than they? And here you, you really hear Jesus trying to get us to understand. Look. God cares about you. God will help you. You don't need to worry about it. That doesn't mean you can be irresponsible. That doesn't mean you have to pay your bills or you don't have to get a career. Or you don't have to get an education. Or, no, no, you got to do those things. The point isn't not, the point is not those aren't important. The point is don't worry about it. Don't, don't focus on that. Don't pour your life into that. I mean, you think about it. Just stop and think about it for a second. What does everybody want? Why do they work so hard? Why do they go to school so much? Why do they why do they why do they sacrifice so much to go to school and to work late shifts and do why do any of us do this? Because we want to be happy. Because we don't want to worry and fear that we're gonna starve, we're gonna lose our home, or we're gonna be homeless, or we're gonna be hungry, or 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 any of those things. I was just thinking about that. Literally this morning I was praying about this, and I thought, what if I was homeless? How would I handle that? How how would I survive? You know, where would it? Would if I lost my house, I lost everything. It was just me. Something happened. You know, and, and and I'm just homeless, or me and Michelle are homeless. Where would we stay tonight? And it's raining. Where would I sleep? Would I sleep under a bridge? What bridge? Would it be safe? Would I be warm? Would I be taking? The truth is. I never have to worry about those things. I come home to my house. It's got a roof. It doesn't leak. It's I, There's food in our refrigerator. We have so much we're taking care of. And you can say, well, Robert, not everybody has that. No, not everybody has that. But we do. And, and part of the reason we've been given so much is so that we will help others who don't have that. And we are the instruments of God trying to help other people. But we don't necessarily have to worry about any of that. We, we, we have a pretty good life. I mean, I was I was joking with somebody the other day, not joking, I was making a point. I was making a point that, you know, today we don't have to worry about Russians shooting at us or a bomb taking out our house. None of us worried about that today. I mean, we are very blessed. And, and Jesus is trying to help us to just trust God. And that doesn't mean that we never have challenges. I mean, the same message is for the people in the Ukraine, the same message is for people in, in Cambodia living in shacks, to trust God and let God to help them. And God is always trying to help us. And he says, can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? I mean, really, how much good is worrying? How much good is focusing on the physical things? And it really boils down to trust. Do we trust God or not? Do you trust him? 
when they, the people were led out of Egypt, he was teaching them to trust him. They didn't know where they were going, but they knew they were going to be with God. That wasn't enough at first. They were freaking out. How are we going to eat? How are we, you know, Pharaoh's going to kill us. How are we not going to just get robbed? How are we, we're all going to get, you know, robbed and raped and pillaged and murdered and um, along the way. And God kept proving himself to them. The pillar of fire, the manna from heaven, the water from rocks. He kept, he was teaching them to trust him with their lives. God is just asking us, asking you to trust him. The two words for belief that are translated the most common in the Bible is emunes, or for to faith, excuse me, to faith. The first one is emune, which is the idea of trusting God. Faith in the Hebrew word emune is much more about trust than it is even about believing. Now, pistis in the Greek Bible, which is the lower one, is believing. And and they're both the word faith, basically. In Greek, faith is pistis, and in Hebrew, faith is usually comes from emune. Not always, there's other words. But but, but these are the, the primary words. But I think knowing what those words, the root of those words, the actual meaning of the words, is key to knowing how to live our lives. To believe God and to trust Him. To believe Him and to trust Him. Do you trust God? That's a big one. That lies at the root of our faith, the root of our Christianity, of who and what you are. And we keep reading in Matthew 6. He says, Why do you worry about your clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? You have little faith. So do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. Seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness. Now, I know in the past, you know, we all know the scripture pretty well because we've heard it and it's usually used, it's usually read when we're talking about coming to midweek, coming to Bible talk, coming to Sunday, you know, and showing up at things. And we read this scripture when we, somebody's studying the Bible to challenge them to show up at everything, to be totally involved, which is that what it's written for? No. Does that apply? Yes, Absolutely. It's seeking the kingdom of God. But it applies to way more than that. Way more than that. It's about making God your priority. It's about making his kingdom your priority. Is that what's most important? It's about seeking all the things of God and and being right with God. Seeking the kingdom is seeking the things of God and obedience to God. And seeking righteousness is just trying to get your own self right with God. And getting yourself right with God isn't just getting baptized. I mean, that is key, obviously. That is that's puts you on the freeway, but it doesn't put you there. It just puts you on the freeway. Seeking his righteousness 
is learning how to be a loving person, how to be a patient person, how to be a kind person, how to be joyful in the Lord, and all these wonderful things that honestly take a lifetime to learn. They don't happen like that. And I think sometimes we slip into the the error, the mistake of thinking, okay, you got baptized, all right, you're good to go. No, no. If I had to drive to New York City, I could jump, I can't jump on the tent and say, okay, I've arrived. What do you mean? The, the 10, isn't that a way to get to New York City? Yeah, it is. You could take the 10, then you could take the 40, and then you could take the 95 and go up all the way to New York City. The 10 actually will take you all the way to Jacksonville, and then the 95 will take you up the East Coast to, to New York City. Or you could drive up the 5 to the San Francisco and then go across on, on the 80, and that takes you to Washington, D.C. and go 95. Or you could take it all the way up to the to the 80 in San Francisco, also leave San Francisco, and that one takes you all the way to George Washington Bridge. But that's not, just because I'm on the freeway doesn't mean I've arrived. There's a whole lot to happen. That's what righteousness is. Seeking righteousness. I want to get right. I want to grow in being right with God. And that is your spiritual journey. And a huge part of that is believing and trusting God. The challenge to believe him, believe everything he says in the Bible, but also to trust it, to really trust it. And I'll tell you, the three areas we have the toughest time with is our time, our talents, and our money. Our time, our talents, and our money. Those, that's where we get challenged. That's the test of our faith. Do we seek him first in time, talents, and money? And always in the background, I don't know if you can see it on the screen, is our spirituality. How spiritual are we? Because that is what's going to determine how much we trust him. In our time, our talents, and money. How much we believe Him and believe all of God's promises about our time, our talents, and our money. It's always in the background. The issue is always faith. Whether it's emune, trust, or pistis, belief, it's faith. Faith. That is a full on indicator. <laughs> How we spend our time, what we do with our talents, and how we do and how we handle our money, really reveal. That's Nacho Libre says it's the nitty gritty of really shows where we're at, where are we spiritually at. In James two fourteen, he says, "What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them?" So. There's a, there's, a, there's a remarkable statement here. Can that faith, can that kind of faith, he acknowledges it's faith. Faith can exist without deeds. But his point is, but can that save you? So what does that mean? That means there's saving faith and there's not saving faith. You can have faith and not be saved. You can have faith and go to hell. You can have faith and not make it. Or you can have faith that saves you. That saves you. And he says, faith without deeds is not saving faith. So just because I believe something doesn't mean I'm saved. It's more than that. 
I have to show it. Uh, it. Real faith is shown. It's not that I have to show it so I can prove my faith. It's the deeds that show my faith. And that's a tricky one because we oftentimes fall into trying to save ourselves through our deeds. We'll go out and do stuff so that we can say, I'm saved. We go serve God so that I can feel good about myself. That's wrong. That's backwards. We should have faith in God, such faith that it'll be shown by what we do, how we act, what we do, what we don't do. That's saving faith. In the same way, faith by itself, he says, if not accompanied by action, is dead. Your faith can be alive and your faith can be dead. And for, and for sometimes, sometimes for many people, they had living faith, but then it died and they don't even know it. They're like Christian zombies. They're walking around, they're dead and they don't even know it. They don't even know they're dead. And well, the whole point of James is, well, you can see it by what they do. The Christian who says, I'm a Christian, I'm going to heaven, but he doesn't prioritize God. But she doesn't do what the Bible says. Dead faith. It's dead faith. And then the last one, verse 19. And I'm jumping through because this is a huge, awesome study that we don't have time to go into, but I'm leaping through the scriptures here. Verse 19. You believe that there's one God? Good! Even the demons believe that. And shudder. Now we think, well, I believe in God. I believe in Jesus. So? So what? That and a quarter might be able to get you a phone call at a public phone, which I don't even know if we have public phones anymore, but it doesn't do you any good. Even the demons believe that. Is that faith going to save the demons? No. It's no shock to Satan that Jesus exists. It's no surprise to the demons that Jesus is Lord. They know it. And that doesn't save them. Believing that Jesus is Lord, believing that God is true, that's good, but that's not a saving faith. Real faith is shown by what we do. It's not substituted by what we do. You don't go and do so you can say you have faith. You have faith and therefore we go and do. And that's tricky, but that's really important. I think sometimes, you know, we've been accused in the church of teaching works salvation. I think sometimes it's been true. Sometimes we're taught in such a way that if we go do a bunch of stuff, then we're saved. Then we're the true people of God. That's not how it works. It's a subtle difference, but it's a hugely important one. Because we love God, because we're saved by God, because of those things, we go out and serve God and do things for God. But whether we do them or not, we're still saved. But if we don't do them, then that shows we've lost our faith. It's become dead or it died. And then we're not saved. We're not right. And so that's why the Bible calls us to examine ourselves regularly. Check out your heart. Evaluate yourself. How am I doing? Am I living by faith? Or... Am I saying God is number one, God is great, I trust God, but then living as though there were no God? Am I a practical atheist to have demonic faith? Yeah, I believe, but I don't live like he's the Lord. I believe that Jesus is the Lord, but I don't live like he's my Lord. I believe the Bible is true, but I don't live according to the Bible. That's dead faith. That's demonic faith. That's faith. This isn't going to save anybody. How's your faith then? That's the question. 
How much time do you give to the Lord? Remember I talked about time, talents, and money. Those are the tests. They're not the only tests, but those are the big ones. <laughs> those are some of the big ones. There's other big ones, but these are the big ones that kind of go together. How much time do you give to the Lord? Is he a priority in your day? And I'm not saying this to guilt us out and make us try to spend more time. I'm saying this to, to just hold up a mirror and say, okay, am I prioritizing God? Good. Amen. I'm going good. Am I not prioritizing God? Is God getting my leftovers? Am I only spending time with God if I have free time and I'm not doing one of 30 other things? How much time am I giving him? Do you give your talents to God? Are you giving him some of what he gave to you? How much of your wealth do you give to God? Ooh, that's a tester right there. We know that all good things come from above, right? Everything we have, every dollar we have has come from God. How are we with sharing it with him? The first one, how much time do you give? You know, time is a funny thing. So it's 168 hours in a week. Sunday church is about an hour and a half. Midweek's about an hour and a half. Quiet times, let's let's just assume the best. Everybody's spending an hour in quiet times. I don't think that's happening, but let's just assume the best. I know there are brothers and sisters having an hour and more than an hour a day. And that's awesome. But I think, I suspect there are a lot of us that aren't having anywhere near an hour a day with God. But we'll assume the word, the best, I mean, the best. So three, one and a half, one and a half to three and seven is 10 hours per week. That's about, that's a roughly around 7% of our time. That's not even a tithing of our time. There's 158 hours left for everything else. And granted, I mean, we're talking about sleep. We're talking about work. We're talking about paying bills. We're talking about putting gas in your car, all the other stuff. But in that 158 hours, we manage whatever we want to manage. The average person watches TV three hours per day. The average person in America. That's 21 hours. That's double what the average disciple spends time with God. Really, it's more than double. Screen time. The average person has 21 hours. And I looked at a couple of websites looking this up. And they say variance, but this is kind of the average. 21 hours. So about 40 hours of a week of screen time compared to 10 hours a week of God time. And we have all this time for what? For studying our Bibles for reading spiritual books that inspire us, move us, strengthen us, give us direction, for memorizing scriptures, for praying, for praying with each other, getting together and praying, for outreach, reaching out, building friendships, loving up on people, trying to show people Jesus. We've been very focused on getting ourselves stronger spiritually, but that doesn't mean we don't, I mean, it has to be accompanied with reaching out to others. Who are you reaching out to right now? serving the community we we've asked the community service team to to provide an event every month so that all of us and there are a number of different people in our region brothers and sisters in our region who are on their own organizing things there's plenty of opportunities visiting one another practicing hospitality we we just talked about that the other sunday now have we done it since then have we thought about how am i going to put this into practice are we soft-hearted enough that we change when we hear the word of God? Or are we like the first 
uh, are we like the first uh, path in the parable of the sower that just bounces off? I haven't changed a thing. Hospitality? What? Oh, yeah, we were supposed to start hospitality. Have we started that? Okay, so time, time. We got a lot of it. We say, but man, Robert, we're so busy. We got so much. I have no time for myself. I have no time for... Then change your schedule. If you're too busy for God, then you're too busy. And it's not just God. It's you and God. It's really practicing self-care. I know that I need time with God every day. I need to be with God. I need to just me and him. Me and God, just strengthening, refreshing, redirecting, correcting, rebuking, inspiring, uplifting, all of those things that I get from God. And if you don't have that kind of a relationship with God, then get one, get some help. But it's going to take time because you know what? You can't hurry love. You can't hurry depth. You can't hurry healing. All the things that really matter, we can't hurry. It just takes time. And so giving our time to God is incredibly important. Our talents. You know, we, we all have different talents. All of us. Every, every single one of us has talents. We, we all have our, our, uh, our, our, um, our, I can't think of the word. What, what is it? Our powers, our special powers, our special abilities. All of us have them. Some of us are good at organizing. Some of us are good teachers. Some of us are really just very loving, great at expressing love. Some of us are super encouraging. We're really good at encouraging people. I'm sure as I say these, you can think of people. I can think of people. I mean, Montel is super encouraging all the time. You know, I think of lots of people who are just very loving and giving and, and, and always. A lot of us, there's a number of us that have leadership gift. The gift of, that's a gift from God. Serving. So there's, there's, and there's a whole bunch more, right? There's a whole bunch more. And I think of, Man, the, the whole church is made up of people using their talents. I think of Risa always out there handing out the cups, making sure that the fellowship is taken care of. Montel always making sure everything's all set up. James and Latanya jumping in and doing the marriage things. I mean, haven't they been awesome? The, the, the marriage workshops and Greg always putting together the worship and Reese and Casey always making sure the Sunday services are great and Joanne taking care of the RFAC and the board and all this different things she does and Doug serving as an elder even while he's got so many incredible things on his plate and on his shoulders with medicine and being a doctor. Art, you know, cranking a business and yet always making sure that we have what we need and printing things for us. Jerry and Augustus and, and Joy and others organizing community events. The RFAC meeting and make sure our budget's all sound. The ushers that are serving, setting up things. The teen workers serving the teens. Uh, uh, you know, Turnwall over here always recording us and getting everything together. The worship team and on and on and on and on and on. I mean, there's many more. I mean, it takes a whole village to run this little ministry. And I'm so grateful for them. And yet I know we still need help with children's ministry, community service projects, the building, the sound system, the leadership. We need a lot more people to step up to leaders. But the question is, do people want to use their talents for God? And I know there was burnout. Oh, in the past, sometimes people just were asked way too much. And that, you know, that stuff happens. And I am sorry for that. I mean, it happened to me. But that doesn't mean we stop serving or we stop giving. Because this is for God. This is not for 
anybody. This isn't for some brother or some sister. This isn't for the leaders. This isn't for my region. This is for God. That I roll up my sleeves and use my talent. So if 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 you know, if you're thinking, man, I, I need to do it. I mean, I heard, I heard somebody decided to go to another region because they they felt like they wanted to serve and 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 do something for the church i'm like are you kidding me with all these needs if you don't know what the needs are ask we have all these ministries that need help to build this church so if you're not sure talk to one of the ministers us the creos the kiainas the esbens the keys talk to one of the shepherds talk to the webbers the elders or the shepherds the sanchez the vus the esperantos the simmons the henleys or any of our deacons, and we'll be talking a whole lot about deacons soon. There's plenty of opportunities. How about money? Ooh, that's a t- that's a big one. Money. That's that's where people get really nervous when the preacher starts talking about money. Tithing. It's our ten percent, right? The Bible says, "Be sure to set aside a tenth of all that your fields produce each year. Eat the tithe, your grain, new wine, and olive oil, and the firstborn of your herd." And flocks, and in the presence of the Lord your God, at the place He will choose as a dwelling for His name. It goes on and on. But, and the reason I copied the second part of that is because sometimes we can think, "Well, tithe is just money." No, it's a tithe is a tenth of everything we have. I mean, He's listing out grain and wine and olive oil and your firstborn and the herds and the animals and everything we have. And tithe simply means a ten percent, ten percent. God commanded his people to do this. God, keep in mind, gave them the land. God causes rain to fall. God causes the seeds to grow. Therefore, God provides the food on the table. God does all of this. He gives us everything. Does God give you everything you have? In your heart of hearts, we all know the answer is yes. Yes, everything we have is from God. And when he asks 10%, how do we feel about that? Giving 10%. How do you feel about that? 10%, if he gives you $10 and he asks for a dollar back, how do you feel about that? That's a really important one. For example, if you're a minimum wage earner in California, you make 15 bucks an hour. 15 times 40 hours equals $600 a week. That means your contribution, your tithe would be $60. $60 a week. Right? How do you feel about that? That's just kind of the rule out there that Jesus put out, that God put out there for his people. To tithe. To give a 10%. What is our average in our region? It's $34 a week per member. Now, there are people that give a lot more than that. And you need to know that. There's people that give a whole lot more than that. And there are people who don't give even that. Not because they can't. But that's just what they decide to give to the Lord. I think it says a lot about our faith. What we give. In how much we believe in God and in his kingdom and in his church. You know, God is easy to be behind and support. His kingdom even 
It's a little challenging, but we can still get behind it. His church, oftentimes, that's a little harder because we see all the faults and the weaknesses of the church. And so I think it's important to keep some principles in mind when we think about this. Principles of giving contribution. One, we give to God, not to people. Not to people. Kills me when I hear somebody say, we need to give our contribution so we can support the Kiainas and the Carrillos and the... No, 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 no. The Kiainas do not work so that we will pay them. The Carrillos do not work so... The Kiainas gave their life to God. God brought them here, thank God, to serve the metro region. God brought Michelle and I here to serve the metro region. But we don't work for the people. We work for God. And then say, well... Don't the people pay your salary? Yes, we're, we're, we are accountable to the people. We are accountable primarily to God. But if the region didn't pay me, I'd find money some other way and I'd still keep serving God. I would probably have less free time, but I'll still keep serving God. It's not for people. The people brought their offering to the temple to give it to God. Now, yes, the priests... And they managed it. They figured, you know, they took care of the temple. They took care of other things. They get, they took care of the poor. Sometimes they carried. They they had a lot of responsibilities. But it, when the people came to the temple, they weren't giving their sacrifice and their offering to the priests. They were giving it to God. And I know that sometimes, especially when the church went through a bunch of challenges, a lot of people were kind of voting with their contribution. They were holding their contribution as a lack of confidence to show a lack of confidence in the leadership that's a mistake because giving is between you and god not in the people not in the people and if you don't trust the leadership we got a big problem either the leadership needs to change or the person needs to change that doesn't trust the leadership has to be right with god and i'll tell you this no leadership is perfect Anybody who looks at a leader long enough is going to begin to see flaws and problems. Well, then how do we know how to support a leader? Well, the one thing you can count on, or the one thing that's super important is, is it a person who listens to God and follows God? That's our security. It's like I told, I've I've shared this before. I told my daughters, be careful who you marry because the Bible commands you to obey him. So you better find somebody really godly, really spiritual. Because then he'll be a good leader. Same thing with the leaders in the church. You, we, we, it, it's not for us to decide or trust or not. We need to trust. And the leadership needs to be trustworthy. And if the leadership's not trustworthy, then the leadership needs to be removed. The full-time ministry staff must be removed. And I've been around long enough to see God do that numerous times. When leaders were being lousy leaders, God takes them out. Usually takes a lot longer than what we want. We would like to happen immediately. And usually God, in his mercy and kindness, gives them time to repent. And either they repent and become good leaders, or they don't repent, and boom, he takes them out. That's part of the responsibility of the shepherds, of the elders, to make sure that the evangelists and ministry folks are doing well spiritually. And if they don't do well, to take them out. We haven't been set up that way in the past. But we are setting up things like that now. We're going to have a team of strong elders. We're going to have a team of strong deacons and a team of strong ministry people. And they work together. Because why? Because it's really important that the leadership is trustworthy. They lead. 
The ministers lead the church. The shepherds and the elders make sure the ministers are listening to God. So that if they're not and they need to be removed, that's on them to make that happen. God will take care of it. But we have to be able to, the only way this thing works is if we can trust and love each other. But the trust is not in people. The trust is in God, his system, his way. And that's how we can know and give to God generously, trusting that God will deal with things. In Acts 5, 3, 4, it says, this is the story of Ananias and Sapphira. They made the mistake of thinking they were just giving to people. They were giving to the leaders. And so they kind of cheated and held back some of their money. And it says, then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept yourselves some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money of your at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not just lied to human beings, the leaders, but to God. And you, you all know what happened. Boom, he died. And then his wife came and boom, she died. They thought they were holding back on the leaders. They were holding back on God. And that's how he saw it. And God killed two Christians for it. So I think it's important. I don't give to people. I give to God. And that way, it doesn't matter what the people do. It doesn't matter what the members or leaders or whatever. I give to God. And and it's not just one way. There are multiple ways I give. Another principle of, of giving. It's not the amount, it's the heart. It's the love. It's the faith. And it's the sacrifice. It's not just the amount. We should never feel bad because we don't have more to give. We should give generously and we should give sacrificially. And we've heard a thousand lessons on that. And we know it's not about the dollar amount. It isn't. The person that all they can give is $50 a week should feel just as good about that as the person that gives $300 a week. Their sacrifice is their sacrifice. And the widow who can give $10 a week should feel just as good about that as the person who gives $300 a week. It's their sacrifice. But you ask, and this is um, Malachi 1. I'm sorry, I don't have the reference there. But you ask, how have we shown contempt for your name? By offering defiled food on my altar. But you ask, how have we defiled you? By saying that the Lord's table is contemptible. When you offer blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? When you sacrifice lame or diseased animals, is that not wrong? Try offering them to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you? Says the Lord Almighty. Now plead with God to be gracious to us. With such offerings from your hands, will he accept you? Says the Lord Almighty. And, and, and this, is, this is what I'm talking about, the heart. Malachi was challenging the people, not because they weren't giving. They were giving, but with the wrong heart. I mean, the truth is, we're not really bound to the tithe as Christians. The tithe was an Old Testament law. We're not bound to the law. Actually, we're called to be more generous than that. I mean, the early church, they laid, they sold properties and laid it at the apostles' feet. They gave 
out of their poverty and their wealth, out of everything they gave. They were super generous. They blew out the tithing. But the issue here, in this point, is the heart that God wants us to be, to give out of love. And when you give to somebody, it's a joyful gift, right? You know, on St. Patrick's Day, I stopped and I bought flowers for Michelle. Little green flowers with a little leprechaun. Michelle's Irish. Her family makes a big deal. I kind of forgot about, about uh, St. Patrick's Day. And she was sick that day. And I, and, and I couldn't wait. I just, you know, I couldn't wait to give her the flowers and encourage her with it. Don't you love it when, when you can give to somebody and you put a smile on their face and, and you make them feel loved? That's the kind of giving God wants. He doesn't want giving under compulsion. He doesn't want giving out of obligation or even legalistic giving. If you don't want to give money to the church, don't. Don't. What, Robert? You're telling people not to give? I'm saying get your heart right. <laughs> give to God. Give out of the out of the love you have for God, out of the gratitude you feel, out of the 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 desire to give back some of the blessings freely you have received, freely you should give. Not out of compulsion or a regretful heart. And when we give out of joy, we are generous. God was telling him, you robbed me, you cheated me, and, and you defiled what's your gift because they were giving them spotted lambs and things that were imperfect, the leftovers, what nobody else wanted. And that's a stinky gift. That's a stinky gift. If somebody has no money and they take a piece of paper and write a poem for you or just tell you how much they love you and fold it because they can't afford a card, you love that piece of paper. You don't care that it's not a really nice Barnes & Noble card or it's not a papyrus card. You just care that it was given with love. That's what matters, right? But if somebody has plenty of money and could have easily bought you a card, but they were just too lazy to do it and didn't get around to it and just grabbed a piece of paper and said, I love you, happy birthday, you'd feel like, what the heck is that? What is that? Same thing, but very different hearts, right? The other principle, it's, it's not that, it, 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 the other principle is that God is watching. We have to always remember that. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, he said, come over here, guys. Jesus said, I tr truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she gave out of her poverty. She put in everything, all she had to live on. So that was a whole lot more than tithing. Jesus was sitting there watching. Can you imagine? I mean, what if Jesus was sitting next to you when you were dropping in your check? And he looked over to see how much it was. And he knows exactly how much you make. And what that says about you, about your love for him. And it is important to know that. God is not deceived. God will not be mocked. He's not a fool. He knows how important he is to us. How much he matters to us. And our gift says a whole lot about us. About our faith and about where we're at. We have a wonderful vision. Now you probably can't read it's too many letters. But our vision, a church in love with God, led by Jesus, empowered by the Holy Spirit, where leadership is humble, spiritual, and strong. A church with great worship, where the members all walk with God and are driven by faith and, un and unified by purpose. 
where mutual respect permeates the fellowship as we help each other get to heaven, where love is supreme and easily seen, felt, and experienced, a church where personal conviction is high and grace is abundant, where renewal and formation is constant and conflicts are resolved spiritually, a church where everyone serves, gives generously, and is fruitful, a church that has a great kingdom kids ministry, giving all children hope, a church where there's great dating, great teen, great campus, singles, and, and singles ministries, where marriages and families can thrive and shine, a church that serves the community and takes care of each other, having no needy among themselves, a church where our children become Christians and feel proud of this family, a church with strong women's and men's ministries, a church that continually raises up new, young, and older leaders, and is able to send out trained leaders to start new churches and new ministries. A church that welcomes everybody from every race and ethnicity and background. A church that is family, abundant in faith, fruit, and fun. That's the church we want to be. That, I mean, that's, a, that's the church Jesus died on the cross for. That's the church that Jesus was establishing. This, was, this vision was put together by all the different leaders two years ago. And it's the vision we're going after. And it's where we're going. That's the church I want to be a part of. How about you? That's what is worthy of my life, blood, sweat, and tears. To build that for what? For God. Because God has saved me. Because God has blessed me. Because God is good. And he is worthy of my all. And out of my gratitude, I'll give everything to make this happen. How about you? That's where we're going. That's what we're doing. It's not, this is the road that we are on. And if you could see it, I mean, there's people catching on. You could feel it. You feel it on Sunday mornings. You feel the excitement. You feel the, the joy. The, I mean, the women, they were singing. They were cranking last Sunday. The guys, we had a great time. Reese did a phenomenal job preaching and challenging us and calling us higher. And, and it was just great. You can feel it. Something is happening. Metro is not the beat down, broken ministry. Metro is becoming the living ministry, alive and heading towards not surviving, but thriving, heading towards not being tired, but being inspired, heading in that direction. And I just want to invite you to be part of that. And what is it going to take for us to get there? Well, it's going to take everybody using their gifts. And I close with this gift. I was sorry, with this scripture, which is a gift. Romans 12, we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Our region is going to glorify God because everybody's rolling up their sleeves and helping out. And more and more are doing it. Don't get left behind on that. Don't leave your gift at home. Don't hang on to your gift. Don't regret giving God a tithe. Didn't God said, test me on this. Give abundantly to me and see if I will not pour out my blessings on you. And you've all, we've all heard stories of people who made huge sacrifices and God blessed them. Again and again and again and again. Every single time. I remember one time we had hardly... 
any money. We were down to our last couple hundred bucks, and it was it was, it was some big special collection going on, and we gave it. Michelle and I just gave it, and, and it was like, I don't remember the amount. It was like $275 or something, and literally the Monday afterwards, we get a check for $300 in the mail from some insurance thing that we didn't even know was coming to cover that because we gave the money we had. And it, that, I mean, that has happened to me multiple times. I've heard so many people tell those stories. And I know not everybody wants to give. Not everybody wants to be part of a church like that. Not every, every a lot. There's people that just want to get to heaven. They don't want to have to do any more than they have to. And probably most of those people will probably leave our region. Because our region is becoming a zealous region. Moved by the Spirit. We have incredible people in our region. I mean amazing people. Our region is top notch. I mean, I so love the mature sisters and their zeal and their excitement. There's so many different individuals that are just standing out and coming to life and people stepping up to lead and wanting to serve. And it's awesome. I mean, I can't wait to see. I, I don't know exactly what's going to, things are going to, I think that vision is going to happen. But it's only going to happen with those who roll up their sleeves and jump in. And some people won't do that. Okay, that's fine. I mean, God bless you, and I hope you get to heaven. But those of us that are that really, we want to be part of something awesome. We want to be part of the kingdom of God, and that's going to happen. But but we have to check our hearts, and our gifts need to be out of love, by faith, because we trust and believe God, and therefore our actions show it. What we do, our deeds show it. How we're spending our time. How we're using our gifts, our talents, and how we're giving in our contribution. It all shows up. What we give to the poor, what we give to the needy, what we give to others. And what we give for God's work. So, God bless you. You've just listened to the Metro LA Podcast. For more information about our ministry, please visit MetroLARegion.com.